Hello and welcome to the Wheel of Crime podcast. This podcast is run by two ladies who play games, mumble profanities, and laugh way too often. Also, this podcast does cover topics of sensitive nature, and as such, listener discretion is advised. to the Wheel of Crime podcast, episode number two of the new year. Of 2021. I'm still not used to it, so I'm still like, yeah, 2020, but no, fuck 2020. It's 2021. Yep. I also keep writing it down on everything that's 2020, which just at this point feels like trauma. So I will be happy when I move past that. Uh, oh, uh, my name is Emily. My name is Jen. Welcome. Yes, welcome to part two of our John Benet Ramsey storyline here. Uh, if you haven't listened to our previous episode, Jen covered the the crime itself, and this episode will be my contribution of the conspiracies kind of behind what people think exactly might have happened that fateful night. It's true. Um, if you don't know, which I'm sure you do if you're listening to this, it's one of the most notorious unsolved cases and a lot of people have a lot of theories so i'm very excited to hear what emily has to say Mm-hmm. well before we begin i'll do our normal tradition of asking you how has the start of your 2021 been have you uh well in alberta still we're in our mid quarantine phase for the most part but uh, have you made any like plans on what to do once we're allowed to start uh, doing things again? Or have you pick- picked up any new hobbies since the start of the year? Mm. Well, I went back to work. So Ooh. that's Exciting. It is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> um, Understand. No, I haven't really done anything exciting. Uh, just, you know, my plans for this year get the vaccine. And then get the second round of the vaccine. Get and in, then get the vaccine, get the vaccine again. And call wait it good. for a month for the antibodies to settle in and then fucking do whatever I want. I'm just going to go hard on, on everything. Nothing's off limits. Jen's going wild this year. <laughs> I feel that on a deeply personal level. I spent the other day thinking about... Uh, my whole 2020 and how many things I missed out on and didn't do because I either couldn't or it was no longer available to me and it just felt like one enormous waste. So I am also going to be that person who's like, when I can, I am going to be going wild. That sounds about right. I don't know. I'm, I'm an introvert, I would say. Um, but I'm fucking, I'm ready. I'm ready to like, just like go wild travel everywhere go to like a party maybe go to a club i don't know i'll probably still have a terrible time (laughs) but i'm gonna convince myself i was gonna say if you go to a club the only difference is gonna be you're gonna fall asleep on a seat there instead of at home (laughs) true but i have ambitions well i'm excited to see what you what you do with them uh the beginning of my 2021 i almost said 2020 that was a close one uh has been very low key still. Um, I'm kind of in this weird place where I've realized that I actually don't mind being indoors by myself. 
most of the time. But I do still miss people and I do still miss doing things. So I've been trying to plan for like what to do when I can do them. And my first thing is going to be to get a haircut. Because uh, mm-hmm. if one thing's for sure, I've really noticed how annoying my hair's become now that it's longer and I can't get a cut. So there's that. Yeah. I mean, my bangs are like literally like down to my fucking mouth. They're so mm-hmm. long and I'm just like, I don't want to go back to the place where I cut my own bangs. We're over that. That is not the 2021 vibe. But like, nope. I can only wait so much longer before I don't even have bangs anymore. I felt that. I remember in 2020, I was really contemplating for a while there shaving my head just because I really just was tired and didn't want to do anything. But uh, thankfully, I lived through that because as Jen and I have discussed previously, Emily would not make a very cute bald person. Some people can pull it off. I am not one of those people. Uh- <laughs> I don't know. I feel like my my face personally is like just too round where I would like look like a pickle. I don't know. A pickle? It wouldn't be a cute look. <laughs> See, my problem is that my head is long. Like I can't even wear hats normally. Like my hair is meant to deceive people into thinking my head is actually a normal shape when it's not. If I don't have hair, what do I have? Nothing. I can't even wear a hat to cover it up. I'd have to wear a wig. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. But with that, I believe it is time for us to start spinning our wheel of questions. Yes, let's take it. Take it away, Em. Number two. So what do you know about Boulder, Colorado? And I'm only asking this because when I was doing my notes, I realized that uh, for work, I've actually driven through Boulder, Colorado like a few times. I've never stayed there, but I've been there. So I was interested to see what you had to say on either what you know or if you've also been there or... Um, never been. The only thing that I know is from the Chainsmokers song and from this case. <laughs> I totally forgot about the chain Chainsmokers song. As soon as you saw back in Boulder, yeah, we ain't never, we never getting, getting older. older. Oh gosh, what a time! But yeah, <laughs> that's fair though. I know I was trying to think because other than this case, it's like you're saying there's that song and all this stuff, and I know a highwayman by Willie Nelson, I think it is. Uh, he also talks about Boulder, Colorado in his song. How, like, so you've only driven through? Like, have you ever stopped there? What was your we impression of it? We may stop for gas a couple times. The, like, landscape's interesting because it's kind of nestled between these, like, quote-unquote mountains. They're more like big hills. But it's, like, very rocky kind of there, which makes sense for why it's called Boulder, Colorado. But for the most part, like, I always thought it was pretty, like, meh. Yeah. I feel like that's how most people feel about it. Yeah. It's like one of those in-between no places. No offense to our Boulder people. Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing, too. Is like, it might be amazing in its own way. Like, I've never had the time to stop and, like, check it out. But uh, the impression I got was just from the view of the highway as I passed it. So from there, it looks pretty meh. But uh, it's more... It felt very, like, in-between-ish. Like, people... It's kind of like where we grew up, like where it's like a town that's built between two bigger towns. It very much feels like that when you're there. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, 
I I don't really know much about it, so I, I have nothing to add, but it makes sense. Yeah. All right. I will spin for our next question then. What are your thoughts on beauty pageants in general? Like mm. when people who are like fully grown adults do them or we could even go back to our question from last episode about children ones. I know that there's a lot of different types, but I wasn't sure about uh, how you felt about the older ones because it's a very different ball game. I think once people start getting older and it turns into more of like a career almost. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have very limited knowledge of them besides the people that we know that have participated. And I will say, like, I have, like, one of my dad's, like, good friends from childhood, his stepdaughter participated in the one that you and I both uh, know other people participated in. I'm (laughs) trying to be very vague here. (laughs) It's vague enough for me. I understand. Nobody else has to. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, and like, she is like one of the sweetest people like ever. And I feel like from like my perspective, like I didn't really hang out with her that much, but I kind of knew her and like, she was a very sweet person and it felt like it was a fitting thing for her because, you know, she got to do some like community service and raise some money and like, you know, also do Mm -hmm. like the fun aspects of it, which I'm sure is like the traveling and the getting to know new people. And in that way, I think it's good. But like on the opposite side of that spectrum, I feel like there's also the people who let it go completely to their head and hang on to that as part of their identity even though it happened like 10 years ago and i'm like sorry sis no one cares yeah that's the whole thing too is i feel like because of people like that that's why there is like either this idea of toxicity or that there is some toxicity in it because then you all of a sudden have these people who are like what you're describing is where they don't want to let it go then they start having kids and then they push that those ideas onto them they're like it was the greatest time of my life you have to do it now and then you literally end with like uh what we were talking about last week with these uh you know little like baby children who are doing pageants just because their parents want to chase that feeling again yeah and i think that kind of attitude will manifest itself and like not even just into pageants like i think that there's those types of parents in like any activity that a child could do like cheerleading or even like chess or smart people stuff like stem you know <laughs> no i think you're right i do think or sports, that uh, you know it's like a level of like being it's like competitive but at the same time it's also a weird trying to relive a part of your life that's no longer a part of your life <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's where the problem comes from is the parents who are forcing their children to do it to, like, you know, like, create this life that they never had and, like, give their kid what they thought, quote-unquote, the perfect, like, life or upbringing would have been when in reality Mm -hmm. it's everyone's different and, like, just because that's what you wanted as a child does not mean that's what your child wants, you know? Exactly. It's the whole thing of people... They might be your child and they might kind of look at you, but that doesn't mean they're the same person or that they're going to to grow into being the same person as you. Exactly. And I feel like, you know, I'm, you know, everybody's kind of like their parents, but 
I feel like I have a lot of polar opposite ideas and ambitions than even my parents do. And of course, we have things in common, but, you know. Well, to be fair, like, in your case, you're also a little bit of the black sheep of the family. Like, not not to say that you're not to like, I'm sorry, Jen's family, if you're listening, but I do think you're one of the more interesting ones. (laughs) Why am I the black sheep? Do you really want me to explain this to you? Your dad's yeah, a real do. estate agent. Your mom, like, manages the br- the bank. Your sister is a lawyer and your brother's an accountant and you work in the film industry. <laughs> True. True. Like, it does not get more different than that. And I feel like that pretty much encompasses everything of what you were just saying. <laughs> Anyways, okay. I'm going to spin for our next question. So, why do you think that John Benet Ramsey's case became of interest to the world? Like, what do you think was the main reason? Honestly, I think the main reason is because she was already in the public eye with, like, all of her pageants and, like, her, you know, like, because she had won pageants and, like, had, like, a decent amount of awards. So, she's probably already well-known in that community. And then also... Because she was a pretty, from an affluent family and white. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's it. Well, and then, too, you have those things which alone are of interest to people for an unfortunate reason. Uh, The statistics say what they do. Um, But also, I do think that the other part is a lot of the obvious mistakes that were made in the case like we discussed last week are very frustrating to people and it's Mm -hmm. almost like the answer's there but it's like just out of reach and i feel like people want an answer and they're very frustrated that there isn't an answer for something that feels like it should be so simple to be to be able to figure out right i feel like like i feel like a lot of people think the answer is there they just can't prove it without a reasonable doubt which is like the requirement for conviction Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like you were saying, there's a there's a few contributing factors. <laughs> there's but, definitely a couple. Yeah, but on that note, I will spin for our last question. Okay. Okay. So, in your opinion, what's the worst part about the murder or the death of a child? Like when these murder cases pop up, where it's somebody. And they've their the crime that they've commenced has uh, either killed a child or that was the, that was their intent. Uh, what do you think is the worst part, like in re- like looking into those cases? Like it could be um, the intent behind it. It could be what the person's th- thoughts being the most disturbing part. But what do you think is the worst part about like the those types of crimes? Well. I think, like, regardless of, like, what the crime is or, you know, it, the reason why, like, children's, like, crimes against children are so, I feel like they really stand out, like, even, like, when you're talking about, like, rape or sexual assault is because that kid, it's like a loss of innocence, you know? Like, that kid has done literally nothing yet, whereas, like... I think people see adults as more, like, gray, you know? Like, adults Mm -hmm. do good things, they do bad things, but, like, 
kids haven't even had a chance to grow up yet and become a per- real like person. Mm-hmm. So it just like is such a vital time in their lives to their growth that like they're going to be fucked up forever because of it. Mm-hmm. Not to say that an adult wouldn't, but I think it's especially sad when it's someone so young who's literally done nothing to no one. Oh, no, totally. I agree with you. And I feel, I think a lot of people feel the same way as you, where it's the the robbery of their innocence. Um, it's a lot of different things. It's like children are more or less like blank slates. They, they'll have their own opinions and they'll have their own life experiences and their own thoughts that build them into people. But there's also a certain percentage of the pe- of like what other people who are around them can do to influence them. And if you're somebody yeah. who commits ch- like a crime against a child, what you've done is so beyond that of doing a crime to another adult where an adult can look at that and be like, wow, like, you know, you're this horrible person, but that doesn't like what you did to me doesn't mean like that's who I am. Whereas a child isn't going to be able to understand that. They're going to look at that what that crime is and think what did I do to deserve this? They're going to think things like, oh, like, you know, it's just a very different type of thinking that they have. And I feel like it does a lot more permanent damage to just overall thought processes for them. Right. And I think that there's also that thought that, well, maybe if they had committed this crime against a full adult, they could Mm -hmm. have gotten themselves out of that situation or defended themselves or, Mm -hmm. you know, like found a way to avoid it whereas kids aren't fully developed yet so maybe they didn't know how that the situation was going to be bad and they didn't know how to get themselves out of it like they couldn't Mm -hmm. defend themselves like you know and they didn't know the signs and that different things i totally agree and uh i'll add quickly just because i was thinking about this when we were talking i also think that one of the worst parts about crimes against children in general is the whole thought process of the person who's committing the crime Because depending on what it is, that's still somebody who sought out somebody they clearly could control and take advantage of and they knew what they were going to do. Like, it's very Mm -hmm. sickening in that part because they're like, not to say that there is like this big, huge difference between crime against adults and crimes against children, because an adult can still look at another adult and be like, oh, I could take advantage of them if they feel like they're bigger and stronger. But there's such a displacement of like power between an adult and a child and there's a lot of those like other underlying things where it's like you know like this like children will look towards adults more or less as educators and then it's like they're putting themselves in that role the or sorry the society or people in general put them in that role and now they look at that as being like a way of being a predator like an out for them because now they have this opportunity to do these things that they want to do right yeah just not the vibe super super gross um but yes uh that does wrap up our question round though uh i guess my next thing as i normally do is i will lead or or i will lead i will begin with a description uh kind of of who john benet ramsey was for anybody who may have missed our last episode but if you did, you should definitely go back and listen to this first and then come back to this one. Oh, totally. Because then things will make way more sense for you. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, John Benet Patricia Ramsey uh, was born in August. Uh, already I've messed up. Was born August 6th of 1990 
and was deceased December 25th, 1996. She was an American child beauty queen who was killed at the age of six in her family's home in Boulder, Colorado. A lengthy handwritten ransom note was found in her home, and her father, John, found the girl's body in the basement of their house about seven hours after she had been reported missing. She sustained a broken skull from a blow to the head and had been strangled. A garrote was found tied around her neck. The autopsy report stated that the official cause of death was asphyxia from strangulation associated with craniocerebral trauma. Her death was ruled a homicide, and the case generated... (laughs) I'm starting my sentence over. (laughs) The case generated nationwide public and media interest, in part because her mom, Patsy Ramsey, herself a former beauty queen, had entered John Bonet into a series of child beauty pageants. The crime is still unsolved and remains an open investigation with the Boulder Police Department. So, I haven't told you this yet, but the way I'm doing my story today is different than any other way that I've done my notes so far. Okay. Interesting. You've intrigued me. Yes. So I'm just going to lead by saying that there was plenty of articles and, you know, different stories that talked about some of the conspiracies leading up to, you know, how the case unfolded the way it did, maybe who's responsible. But I did find that one of the biggest communities that did talk the most about the potential conspiracies behind the case was actually Reddit. And I don't normally use Reddit links just because it's really easy to, like, uh, forget to say somebody's username or stuff like that. But what I did is I, I included the whole conversation thread that I decided to include in my story today. So I'm going to be reading out these different usernames off of Reddit for who's responsible for what part of their own uh, conspiracy theory. And I did find uh, the thread that is the most prevalent with what most people believe happened. Does that kind of make sense? Yep. Okay. So what's the theory? To start, most people believe that um, it was one of the other children in the household that ended up killing her and that the parents were covering for the child. So the brother Burke. Yes. Brother Burke. Um, <laughs> so as uh, Redrick underscore Shuhart says, uh, they believe, as well as uh, all these different people who ended up upvoting and uh, uh, commenting, that uh, outlined, like even due to a book that was written about the event called Foreign Faction, that the killer was Burke Ramsey and that the parents are the people who covered it up. And that's why things unfolded the way that they did. So to do a brief summary... What people believe is that Burke had sexually molested her and accidentally killed her somehow in that process, and that the parents, not wanting to lose both of their children, had decided to cover for Burke instead. So I believe, Jen, that you've heard that theory before, because like I said, it's fairly commonplace that people put the blame on Burke. I have, I have listened to all the interviews with him and uh, read many of the theories on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I yes. myself think Burke is very sus. Yes, I do also think he's very sus. Just for a couple different things, like I said, I won't be quoting word from word from uh, these different users, but I will mention who says what. 
but I'll kind of give the gist of what most people believe, and then we can kind of talk a little bit more about it afterwards. Okay. Take her away. So, Seabones mentioned that they don't believe that the parents would have been capable of killing and molesting their own daughter, nor would they really have a reason to, which I also agree with them. And uh, it's they also say that just in the way that events had transpired, it's very sloppy and nonsensical. And it seems more like the work of some of a confused, disturbed child, along with maybe the parents' rushed efforts to cover up the guilt or not the guilt, but like cover up what had happened. Right. So again, this is Seabones, but uh, they they put a list of the things that that convinced them that Burke did it. So I'm just going to read out what Seabone says about that. So Seabone says that uh, in the list of things that convinced them, the low and oddly specific ransom amount for an amount that only the parents or their close workers might have known about, which is fair. I also thought that was really weird. Um... It was written on a notepad from the home, meaning it wasn't pre-written, planned, despite how long it was. Like I said uh, in our previous episode, it wasn't premeditated. Um, Solid, but ultimately never officially filed evidence that the note matched Patsy's handwriting. The body left behind. Why would you leave the body in the home and if you want a ransom and write a ransom note? It like yeah. from the perspective of this is my own part of it, but it's like from the perspective from if you're putting yourself in the shoes of a potential kidnapper and you've killed the child you're kidnapping, you wouldn't leave the body there along with a ransom note because say in some freak scenario they find the note and then check out the basement looking for their child to or to see what happened and they find the child. What's the point? They need to believe their yeah, child's you been ain't kidnapped. Going to get your money. Yeah, because you want the money, right? So then the next one is the rope around her arms was poised and loosely tied, meaning that had she have been conscious, she would have been able to escape. Um, the controversial touch DNA evidence implicated that some four to five and one unidentified woman... If we take that to be true, six ish people came to the house that night undetected, sodomized John Bonet with a broken paintbrush, wrote a long and ridiculous letter demanding a stupidly small amount of money, then left the body behind and exited unnoticed. That DNA could have been anybody literally sneezing within proximity of the body, which is also a good point. There's, it's so unlikely that, like, like they were saying, six people would have broken in, been able to do all these different things, and then peace out with nobody noticing. I mean, the thing is, she was also at a Christmas party, like, literally that night, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point, you too. Know? Good point. Um, the sealed and protected medical and psychological information of John Bonet and Burke. John Bonet had been molested before, and something tells me it wasn't a secret underground pedophile ring. So I guess that's another thing, too, from uh, a a psychologist of hers is that it was admitted at some point, but not documented, that she had been molested before. Ew. Right? That's awful. The items on the ledge of the window, broken glass and a web around it, that the intruder supposedly came through were undisturbed. So that was another thing, too, is that I guess there was this, like, spider web in the window that they took the time to look at and the spider web was 
old enough and big enough that it had been there for a few days when they were looking at it. So if the intruder had come through the window, it would have had to have broken the web. Right. So a a random fun fact, if you want to call it a fun fact. Um, So Burke also has a history of problems of a sexual nature and had at one point rubbed poop all over the walls. Ew. I'm not sure what the poop has to do with it, but I guess it's worth noting if it has something to do with, like, say, child psychology when it comes to that kind of stuff. I'm not an expert, but there's also an alternative theory for the marks on her neck that they think was caused by the garrote. And apparently it also matches the tracks of a toy car or a a toy train car. Oh, really? That's weird. Right? So I know there's a couple things I'll be mentioning that people don't really talk about because they weren't big parts of the case but i do think significant enough not significant enough to mention but with people being so interested different little things came out and i guess one of these things was that the marks on her neck were also similar to the marks from a toy train Hmm. right very sus not Mm -hmm. sure if it really relates but it's interesting so Burke's disturbing, narcissistic interviews and uncaring attitude afterwards towards her case. Um, Burke being whisked away and hidden, save for a handful of interviews where he didn't ask about his sister once, but about himself and whether or not uh, the investigator's watch was a real Rolex. So if you watch his interviews, there's like this big thing where like, even though they're about his sister, he never once asks about her. And instead Mm. shows more interest in what the interviewers were wearing rather than what was going on with his sister, which is also a really weird thing. Yeah, that is strange. Mm -hmm. So the parents consistently stating that they would, quote unquote, do anything to help the investigation as a way to keep the media satiated and then doing precisely nothing to help and hindering it at every chance they got under the guise of privacy. Which I kind of said that before as well, where it kind of at some point feels like they're doing more to harm than to help. And other people kind of have also picked up on that being like, there's literally so many things that could have been done differently, but it's almost like they purposely got in their own way when it came anywhere close to solving anything, which is worth noting. Uh, The complete bungling of the investigation by incapable investigators who would rather this slid under the rug, which I agree with. And uh, so this individual who shared these points, Seabones, mentioned that uh, they live in Colorado and have previously lived in Boulder. So reading reading the handling of the case made them realize how Boulder the entire thing is. So basically what they meant by that is privileged rich people get what they want there because it's just better to not stir up too much trouble. Yeah. I mean, I would say that's true with most things. Mm -hmm, Right? Unfortunately. Unfortunately, yes. So, uh, somebody named Wes KMS uh, commented to um, basically what Seabones had to say. And uh, basically, they're talking about how, like, Boulder is and how they have also lived in Boulder, I believe, if I'm reading this correctly. And how... Uh, the town is full of quote-unquote limousine socialists. So um, then they add their own comment regarding the case, saying that 
everything starts to make more sense when you consider Burke to be the killer. Uh, and they add that apparently a pair of Burke's pants were found in John Bonet's room. Which I, they are siblings, but normally that doesn't really happen that often. Like, as somebody who grew up with siblings, like, I wouldn't just put my clothes in somebody else's room. Especially, like, if it's not, like, somebody who's going to be wearing them or borrowing them, you know? Yeah, I mean, I feel like siblings are also, like, I mean, I guess this is just my experience, but more protective of your own things, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, because you're used to the little goblins stealing everything you have all the time. Anyways, so these pants that were found in Jean Benet's room were soiled, and there was fecal matter smeared all over a box of chocolates that she had received for Christmas. So it was they ended up never testing them to make sure that it was Burke's DNA on the pants, but they were his pants that were found in her room. Mm. So it's all they also comment that it's weird that uh, Patsy and John didn't start to get frantic around the time that the abductors had said they would call. So they didn't have any, like, behavior that would correlate with something like that happening. Right. And then John apparently saw what he said later that he thought was a suspicious van across the street, but he didn't mention it to the police officers who were right downstairs until, like, at a way later time, which also doesn't make sense. No, that doesn't make any sense at all. If you... Go into it with the the idea that Burke might have been, like, the person who uh, did it, then it solves a lot of these questions that people have regarding, like, the different inconsistencies. Right. So that about sums up uh, what West KMS had to say. And then Seabones kind of just responded to that and said that basically that they included that it felt very boulderish with the whole, like, uh... With the whole uh, rich people being able to get what they want type of idea. Because other people uh, often describe the town as being a hippie town when it's more farther from the truth. Uh, The most of the population there are old money Republicans. Hmm. Okay, so then Seabones wraps it up by basically saying that bad publicity for the wealthy elite of Boulder is stifled on purpose. And that the Ramsey case would have been an embarrassment. And basically that was it. Yeah, and that basically would have been just an embarrassment for that older community that lives there, right? Yeah, that makes sense. Right? And then West KMS kind of says what you were saying earlier, Jen, with how the police had messed up royally, that they didn't know what they were doing. They allowed the crime scene to be compromised. They were very credulous with the family in the early days. And then basically they say we are still talking about this case because they haven't let the DA office get away with exonerating the family. Most of the information we have come from men and women who saw these different things and have decided amongst themselves that they are pretty sure it's an inside job. But there's other people who I guess have shut up about it, which is another thing. And then also, I can't quite remember if you said this, but I'll say it anyways. Uh, There was also a weird inconsistency where... On the 911 call that uh, Patsy had originally made saying, you know, hey, my daughter's missing, that kind of thing. Yeah. So you can hear Burke talking in the background, like Burke and the dad. But then later on, they say that Burke was still asleep and in his room when she made the call. Like they completely deny his presence of even being in the same room as them, which is a lie. I didn't fully say that because i felt like it was probably an integral part of your conspiracy theories yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um <laughs> but yeah it's 
interesting because I did mention how they said that Burke was asleep or mm-hmm. whatever. Like he had never woken up since he got, went to bed after the party. But it's definitely very interesting because I, I've listened to the 911 call just in like doing my research and you definitely hear someone and it's definitely like male voices. Like there's definitely two separate voices. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, and that's the thing too is that people's voices are very distinctive from one one another. Like, sure, family members can sound similar in how they speak, but for the most part, like, people's tones and, like, different things, like, you can tell when somebody else is speaking. So then it's like, if it wasn't Burke, then who was it? Like, and they still don't give an answer on that because they say it's only them who were there, right? Right, and there's only, like, there was only four of them in the house. John Bonet, who we now know was dead, mm-hmm. the parents, and Burke. Right. And it's so, like, why would you lie about him being awake if there was nothing to hide? Right. And I guess there's this whole thing, too, where the detectives didn't even bother to include that Burke has, I guess, a ton of, like, scat and, like, urinary problems, which is apparently, like, there is apparently a psychological reason for that. My dumbass read that and then didn't even look at what that might mean. But apparently a lot of people look at that as being very integral because it's a type of psychological, like... It's a type of psychological issue that's manifesting itself into being a physical issue. Interesting. I did not know that. Right? So I'd like to look that up later and see what exactly it means. But people do think that is also very key to what's going on. Because then it's like, even if, say, in this situation that Burke didn't do it, then Burke would have at least known something. Yeah. And it's like, well, if he knew something, like, why was it worth hiding? You know? Exactly. Yeah. Um, let's see. So the other thing too, so somebody named Snook Power says that uh, they were frustrated because they don't believe the brother was ever fully examined. And there was a lot of weird cover ups about him in general. And like, what was he doing during that whole time? Like, sleeping when he wasn't like, uh, what were you, what you were saying about the, the his fingerprints being on the pineapple, like not eating pineapple, when he clearly did at some point, like, there's just a lot of like, weird cover ups that don't make sense. Um, yeah. And then they never actually talked to him or examined him well or better. And uh, the be- there's also this belief that she probably knew her killer. And uh, that would that just kind of furthers people's beliefs into why it would have been her brother, because she wouldn't just go along with somebody that she didn't know either. Yeah, most most people or kids wouldn't. Right. Yeah, and then another thing, too, is apparently there was absolutely no DNA evidence to link him to her, which, that's your sibling. There would be at least something, you know? Yeah, especially if, like, there was still potentially residue on her after the Christmas party, like, you Mm -hmm. know, it just seems a little strange. Well, it's like, think about what it's like when people are normally with their family. You're hugging people. If it's, like, a couple of young kids, like they would have been at the time, like, fighting with each other, like, you're still going to be touching their clothing, But apparently there wasn't any trace of him anywhere on or around her. But they were able to find trace evidence from like whatever whatever it was, like six other people, right? Yeah. Very suspicious. So then we have a user named Redrick underscore Shoehart who had read, I guess, the book that Burke had wrote later in life, which I didn't. But previous to my research, I didn't realize that he had, but I guess a lot of people read this book that he wrote, basically, that was supposed to be his recount of what he remembers about that night. So right. what Redrick uh, Shuhart did is uh, basically he wrote out a timeline of what Burke 
says happened in his version of events. So I'm just going to read out to you what Burke thinks. Okay. So first thing that happens is the family returns home. John Bonet has fallen asleep. Patsy carried her up to bed. John goes to bed more or less right after that. Patsy prepares pineapple for Burke in the kitchen and then goes to bed. John Bonet wakes up, goes down to the kitchen, and sees her brother. She playfully tries to steal a piece of pineapple from his bowl. He gets angry with her and grabs her by the collar. She turns away and tries to escape. Or hang on. Never mind. This isn't Burke's recount. This is what the... I messed that up. He was saying basically that from Burke's recount, this is the timeline that this individual has based off the book. Does that kind of make more sense? Okay. Yeah. So it's not actually what Burke thinks or says happens. It's what this user thinks happens based on Burke's recount of event. Yes, because then uh, in his book, I guess, this does chronologically line up with, like, a lot of the events of the case. So what he did is he took what he knew from the case and from reading Burke's book and then put it into a timeline. So I'll just continue from uh, when she goes down to the kitchen. So she playfully tries to steal a piece of pineapple from his bowl. He gets angry with her and grabs her by the collar. She turns away and tries to escape. He picks up the maglite from the counter and chases her with it. He catches up to her in the train room and hits her over the head with it. She drops like a rock, unconscious. John Bonet doesn't move after that. Burke tries prodding with her, her with a piece of the train track just to see if she's pretending, causing abrasions found on her lower back. He breaks off the paintbrush handle and shoves it in her pants as he's probably been doing it for the past few months with his finger. No response. At this point, he decides to stage an intruder scene. He crudely ties her hands with the cord and then makes a garrote with another piece and strangles her. At this point, Patsy comes down to see what the noise is about and discovers the scene. She immediately realized that not only is John Bonet beyond help, but that Burke is uh, responsible and will also be lost to her if his role is discovered. She decides to fake some sort of crime scene. John Bonet is then carried to the basement and wrapped up in a blanket. Patsy goes upstairs and practices writing a ransom note. She finally puts one together, indirectly addressing her husband, hinting to him what will happen if the truth is revealed. John is woken sometime before the 911 call and told John Bonet is missing and that there's a ransom note. In the conversation that follows, Burke admits smearing feces on his sister's things and touching her inappropriately, but he and Patsy say nothing about her body. John is understandably angry at Burke's admission. John goes looking through the house, returning just as Patsy finishes her 911 call. Patsy can be heard murmuring, help me Jesus, as John returns. Burke asks if he found anything. John, still angry, replies, we're not speaking to you. So this is actually script from the 911 call, because I remember remember reading that previously. So the police arrive minutes later and the chaotic morning begins. At some stage during the morning, John finds the body of his daughter and the horrible truth dawns on him. He does some of his own staging. He moves the Samsonite case under the window, and he finds some duct tape and tapes it over his mouth. Then he secures the room and places a chair in front of it. When he searches again with Fleet White, he pretends to discover the body. So, uh, user Redrick underscore Shoehart uh, just says that that that's how they read it. Any errors are, of course, their own, but they believe in the sequence of events not only explains the individual pieces of evidence, but the strange behavior of John during the morning and the evolution of his statements about what he did and both of the parents' protectiveness of Burke. 
So a lot of people have problems with some of the, the correlation of events and some of the uh, different, um, what's the word I'm searching for? Conclusions that people have drawn up because at the, at the time Burke was nine years old. However, mm-hmm. I'm just going to say that based off of a lot of previous other cases that anything that causes a person or child to be mentally disturbed doesn't necessarily have an age limit on where it like starts or begins or like a trigger sometimes it's really that they're just born with these things that they don't understand uh, i remember and i think i'm going to talk about it in a little bit here i'm not but i'm not sure it depends on what i uh wrote down here but um i do remember it's like in the uk there was a case where a couple of nine-year-olds had killed a four-year-old and then uh, tied him down to some train tracks so that if he got hit by a train, it would have looked like an accident. Right. But then his body was found. So it's not impossible for a child to kill. It's happened before. Uh, As for, like, the extent of, like, these other things, like, you know, the sexual assault, assault part of it, I'm not sure if at that age there would be a gratification factor for that. There could be. Um, but there's a lot of different things that may or may not have happened, but most people do think that chronologically speaking, that would explain a lot of the different things like she'd eaten pineapple and, you know, some of this other stuff. Yeah. And also the parents' reactions. That would also explain a lot of the different parent reactions, uh, throughout the case. So, um, basically most people believe that Patsy staged it with the assistance of John that, um... The that uh, Burke would have still done the actual crime, though. Oh, yeah, I'm remembering now those two boys uh, that I was talking about. They were from Liverpool and uh, a detective of that particular crime had said that had the boy have been hit by a train, it would have looked like a train accident, not like these boys had killed him before putting him on the tracks. Right. Yeah, unfortunately, that's true. Right. So. So as for the garrote, which is another thing a lot of people are like, well, that would be a weird thing for a nine-year-old to make. They do say it's really possible that he might have copied something he'd seen on TV, which is possible. I know that um, with other sorts of these types of situations where you're dealing with children and something strange happens, sometimes it is just an act of them copying something and not really understanding like what what it's doing or what it does. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's possible, I will, like I said, a lot of this stuff is not saying that it's a fact. It's just that a lot of these are like different like theories around this particular conspiracy. As for the train room in the basement, um, so a lot of people do think that uh, this individual, Redrick Schuert, was right about uh, him hitting her with the train. But they do think some of the other weird injuries that she had may have been from falling onto different toys and that kind of stuff, which would explain it. Because her body wasn't found in the train room, right? It was found somewhere else. It was found in the basement, yeah. Yeah. There are are also people who rationalize that it's possible that one of the reasons that she, that Burke might have struck her had he been the killer, is if she had, like, uh, about if somebody, so there's a, uh, how do I start this? So I guess at some point in the party, there are a couple people who said that there had been some banter at one point about there being additional presence in the basement. So they say that even though they don't really have proof of this, that it's possible that maybe John Benet ran down there at some point and like tried to open some presents early. 
but that Burke caught her and got mad at her and then hit her because of that. Uh, you know, who's to say? I mean, it was like Christmas night, so I feel like they probably would have opened gifts already. Right? That's kind of what I thought, too. So, like I said, like, it is a possibility, but, you know, there's a lot of other things that kind of point to something else. Um, and then there are a couple theories about how, like, the train ties in, for example. So, they do think that maybe it might have been a weird fantasy of Burke's at the time, to have, like, uh, a damsel in distress versus a train kind of thing and then caused her damage without realizing what exactly it was that he was doing. Like, like he hit her, like, he hits her, she falls down, she's unconscious. So then he's thinking in his head, oh, like, when the bad guy hits a girl over the head and she passes out and then he ties her to some train tracks and then, you know, hit her with his train or something, like, you know, like, it's just weird. But there, like I yeah. said, that feels far-fetched to me. Not saying that it isn't, but with the whole child psychology thing, there is also that part of it where I don't know, and I feel like most people don't, how far his psychology goes into, like, would it lead to something like that? Who's to say? Yeah. I just feel like there's no evidence for that, so I don't know. Right? So, like, there's better theories, you know? I think so, too. Which is why I kind of like including a little bit of everything, because it's like... The, there's really good theories. There's theories that are kind of stretching it a little bit. But at the end of the day, like, they all have a little bit of a basis in something. So it's it's a potentiality, especially because it hasn't been ruled as to what exactly happened yet. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to, like, hear what, like, different people's thoughts are. Oh, for sure, know? yeah. Because people, you know, people, some people might find one thing more important than another, you know. Exactly, which yeah. Which them to what they think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, uh, Redrick Shuhart also mentioned that the autopsies had made it clear that the blow to her head was first and had caused unconsciousness because in her autopsy, uh, there was a decent amount of brain swelling that, uh, normally causes things like losing consciousness and it would have happened before she had been strangled. So when she was strangled because she died of asphyxiation, uh, Mm -hmm. she would have been unconscious during that time. A user named Zinjdarling says that they believe he hit her, but they don't think that he strangled her. They think that Patsy found her unconscious, thought she was already dead, and then put the garrote on her and then accidentally strangled her to death in in an attempt to stage the scene. I've heard that theory as well, and I feel like it is definitely a possibility. I think so, too. And I do think that probably falls in line a little bit more to something that is in the realm of possibility, too. Just because, like, the idea behind a garrote. So, uh, when I when I say that, do you kind of understand what I mean? I'll explain it for our listeners, but... Yeah, I think I understand. Yeah, so the idea behind a garrote is something that tightens when uh, something else is used in kind of like a uh, counterbalance corkscrew type situation. So the idea would be that, say, in her case, she had a nylon rope around her neck, and they say the garrote was a part of the paintbrush. So what that means is how the strangulation would have occurred is that somebody would have put the paintbrush by the string or by the nylon rope, wrapped it around the paintbrush, and then twisted the paintbrush until it was so tight that it strangled her. Because that's what a garrote is. So to me, that seems like a little bit 
too, um, it seems a little bit more deep thinking than a nine-year-old might possess at that time. Again, not saying it is impossible, but it seems more likely that it was a part of staging the scene, thinking that she was dead and then ultimately killing her. Yeah, which is really sad if that is how it happened. Mm Mm-hmm. And then to wrap up kind of uh, this thread that all these lovely individuals uh, contributed to, we have 420 fuck. So they they say that um, just as a, like a brief summary, the ransom note was three pages long, which um, I was trying to remember how many pages it was last week when you were talking about it. I think I said four, but it was actually three pages. And then and a very important detail is that the crime scene wasn't secured And a lot of evidence had been messed up, specifically or especially when the father moved the body upstairs. And to summarize, uh, most people believe the the brother being the killer is the most plausible explanation. So that's wrapping up my story. But what do you think? Like, I know that what I said does is very much buying into the uh, the possibility of him being the murderer. But either with what you know or what I told you today, what is your thought? So I feel like my thoughts, you know, I think the Burke theory is a fairly solid theory. Um, They did this like Dr. Phil special with him like years later when he was a grown ass adult. Mm -hmm. And like just watching him talk about the situation and like his different... um, you know, like, the way that he was talking or, like, the way he was fidgeting or, like, the movements of his hands. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like he was super nervous, which could just be because he is being interviewed on TV about people thinking he killed his sister. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's definitely a possibility. But I also just feel like his mannerisms, you know, to me really point to, like, I don't it's know. Abnormal. It just, it's abnormal. For it's a grieving abnormal. sibling, it's abnormal. And, like, the thing is, is, like, kids are fucking weird and they do weird things all the time. So, to me, like, him not asking about his sister at the police station and, like, just asking about what they're wearing isn't that weird. Because maybe, you know, he just compartmentalized the trauma and was trying to focus on other things because he was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a possibility. But he just, like, with everything that we know, and it's hard because there's a lot we don't know because of how fucked up everything got, it feels like the most logical explanation that he accidentally killed his sister and um, the parents staged the murder so that they wouldn't lose their son and that's how it happened. Um, I've also heard other theories that she was potentially sexually abused at the christmas party and like Mm -hmm. that was just a separate thing um i don't know it's either way it's awful Mm -hmm. well and i agree with you too i do feel like he him accidentally killing a sister is definitely one of the more likely things to me anyways from what we know of what happened uh to have happened i am interested in uh no like i would like to find out more about the whole psychology behind um, the whole, like, scat and urine thing. Because, I like, even with, like, uh, these different people's stories and everything, it seems that he, for a long time, had this thing where he just liked to urinate and 
poop on her belongings. So I don't know if that's like a jealousy thing or if it means something else, but psychologically it is supposed to mean something. So I would be interested in learning more about what the heck that whole thing means too. Because then it could also explain why he acted the way that he did towards being asked about his sister too, right? Well, like another thing that I've heard a lot of people talk about is the fact that she was in beauty pageants. And so her mom and dad probably gave her a lot of attention because she had found like success so young in those beauty pageants Mm -hmm. and that the parents maybe were more focused on her. So it could have been an attention thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, totally, yeah. Yeah, either way, a a mysterious ending uh, for now to a horrible case. If they ever have any updates one day, I'd be interested in talking about this again. But uh, if you yourself have any theories that you would like to point out to us, uh, send us an email over to wheelofcrime at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and the tickety-tockety. Mm-hmm. we're over there we're we're doing a th- we're doing a thing we're, we're doing trying to stuff. be cool and hip with the cool cool and hip with the kids cool, cool. as they say cool cool yeah um i'm trying to think if there's any other plugins uh oh yes uh please leave us leave us reviews uh, on any of our medias or on apple Podcasts. it helps us out a ton if you love us please let us know if you just like us, that would be awesome, too, if you let us know that as well. If you don't like us, uh, uh, just send us an email. Maybe don't do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, that does wrap up our episode for now. So until next week. Yes, we also have a Patreon. Oh, yeah, we forgot about men- mentioning that last week, too. We do have a Patreon. So should you want to donate to us, we do have different tiers and you could receive something cool depending on what it is you're looking for. Yes, and uh, we shall talk to you next week. Next week. Next week. And we will have another crime. Sounds good. We- this is Emily signing off. See you guys next week. <laughs> Bye. Bye.